Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. And welcome to the Dr. Drew Podcast, everybody. We appreciate you uh, tuning in and supporting the pod and checking out the website and the YouTube page and the Facebook page. And don't forget, you live and the Swole Patrol now. Me with Catherwood doing that health and fitness pod. It's all good. Don't forget the swinging sounds and don't forget to support those that support the pod so we can keep this thing going. Uh, today, my friend, Dr. Gail Saltz, she has a podcast, The Power of Different, new episodes Tuesday and Saturdays on iTunes. He, she has a book, The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. I love that. Website is Dr. Gail Saltz, S-A-L-T-Z, Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz, Dr. Gail Saltz, where she is an associate professor of psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Hospital, and she's my dear friend. She's a psychoanalyst. She's an internist. She does it all. Gail. Uh, how are you? <laughs> All right, let me let me. I'm sure I've said it to you before, but let me state it for this audience. I'm jealous of Gail's training. <laughs> I, I really am because Gail had internal medicine training like I did, and she thought, well, that's not enough. I'll go get become a psychiatrist, which she did, and then that wasn't enough, so she became a psychoanalyst, which by itself is something I'm interested in. And then she went and did uh, a fellowship in uh, in sexuality, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. Aren't you, gl- aren't you glad that you uh, weren't paying for my tuition and yes, training Yes, yes, I was glad. <laughs> and, and then when Gail was 48, she, developed, she started practicing medicine <laughs> <because> <laughs> all, all that training took like 15 years. So I did do a lot of training. Here we are, yes. But uh, good for you. Uh, she has interviewed Tom Brokaw, Katie Couric, Woody Allen, Rosie O'Donnell. Woody Allen, what did you think about him? Or can you say he's brilliant? He's yeah. really brilliant. That yes. that is not um, obviously. I'm not commenting on moral moral issues here, but he is a, a pretty fascinating person. Can I? I had a suspicion. You you this. You're the perfect person to ask this question. I've noticed that when people are working in deep psychoanalytic process, because I have patients that are doing that sometimes three times a week and five times a week and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they will turn up in my medical practice and literally say to me, something's happening. I can't tell if it's my analysis or if I'm ill. I literally, so just check me out. Because the experiences in deep psychoanalysis get almost addling, right? You start you – Well, you know, go ahead. look, as, as you know and I know, and I think most people do understand now, there is an intense mind-body connection – and when but this things- is not but this is not just that I, I agree with you I know where you're going with this but this is literally yeah. like they're lost in their analysis and their yeah. core sense of themselves and their body is in flux so they just need some objective sort of assessment of it does that make sense well I think I mean when you say you know people usually come to like an entrance to you when they have like weird feelings that they can't explain right and yeah. they're making them anxious and Weird feelings that you can't explain can be right either a, you know a a biological symptom in your in your body, but they can be they can be a symptom in your mind. Yeah. And when you are getting to material that is hard to understand or very very conflicted, it's usually because it's driving a lot of anxiety. And there are, I'm not just talking about psychologically what is the anxiety doing to your body, but people experience everything from sort of depersonalized, de-realization kinds of feelings. Like, I feel like I'm a little outside myself. I feel uncertain, you know, in terms of my identity, like who I am really. And that those can create physiologically weird 
feelings for people. That's one thing that does happen, I think, yes. But I also think, um, you know, many, many psych issues are somatized. And so yeah. I, I do think, you know, people, I mean, you're, you're basically describing yourself right now as like the back line of, you know, you, they've been in analysis and now they're just questioning what's going, what are these feelings that they're having yeah. and what's going on. But you're also the front line. Most people who have psychological or psychiatric issues going on, they come first to their internists too because also they're having no, I know. somatic experiences. Oh, believe me, I, believe me, I know. And, and I'm, I'm pretty good at that. But but where I was going to go with this is I w- always wondered because Woody Allen did years and years of analysis, yes, uh, and whether <laughs> he of analysis, yeah, yeah, and did he get lost and is that what happened with his stepdaughter and stuff? Was it somehow some sort of deep like like he was a, a lost at that point? Does that make any sense or is that just me just trying to I, rationalize something I didn't like? So well, I would say this. It, I don't know if I use the word lost as much as. People can get through an analysis and still have blind spots, right? They and blind spots because they really found a way to avoid dealing with that conflict. You know, at the end of the day, right? Psychoanalysis or psychoanalytic training prepares you to be really, really good at listening and listening for unconscious material. But you're not a mind reader. You know, I, mm, I don't have I, an X-ray machine back I, there. I dis- well, not completely, but that's kind of what you do, though, right? You, no. you because you're the countertransference is you kind of read that, and that yes. tells you something. Yes, it so does. That, so but that's my reading. Just say, let's just say you're a male yeah. who has a male analyst. Yeah. Uh, some things counter-transferentially will come up, and some things might not. Yes. And particularly if you're guarded about it and you're... And you, you, really, as the, you as the analyst. Yeah. 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 Yeah, of course. Um and, and and you as the patient. Yeah. If the patient, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I you can try to point out things, but if the patient kind of refuses to go there consciously or unconsciously, you know, you like I said, yeah, you're not really an X ray machine. Well explain <laughs> you can't right. really no, I know. Tell. But explain to explain to people who are listening what, what we what we're talking about here, because I I, I, th- I personally am a big fan of the interpersonal trend in psychoanalytic thinking and ex- explain that transference countertransference phenomenon for people. So yeah, this is sort of the cornerstone of any psychoanalytic or today I would call any psychodynamic treatment um, which is not just looking at your cognitions, your thoughts and your behaviors but trying to understand uh, what unconsciously might be going on and what might be in conflict with your conscious life, and therefore creating symptoms. And a key way to do that is that the treatment is essentially acting like an in vivo, uh, you know, like like a Petri dish um, for what's happening in the outside world. So when you experience feelings as a patient toward your therapist... Um, Frustration, feelings, anger, whatever. Anything, anything. Erotic feelings, all kinds of exactly. stuff Exactly. Hopefully, yeah. your therapist has been non, um, you know, a little bit mysterious. I mean, I'm not saying you have to be the big blank slate, but mysterious enough that um, you don't have tremendous numbers of details about them. You're not their buddy. And therefore, a lot of those feelings and thoughts that you have and assumptions and fantasies come out of what's called the transference, the feelings that you're transferring on to that therapist that really have much more to do about you 
They have to do with your past experiences, your conflicts and unconscious thoughts about important figures in your life, um, or even important people in your life today, and you're transferring them onto the analyst. And so, and, and also, as you mentioned, counter-transference, which are feelings that the therapist may be having about what's going on in the room and about you, but the therapist should be using those feelings to as data for themselves to say, aha, this means something about something that's happening specifically in the treatment and specifically with the patient as opposed to, I just think this. And those two data points are what the therapist will be using to try to help you understand unconscious material that, that is important and part of the when, treatment. When do you share, this is sort of the art of this, I think, when do you share with the patient a feeling that you're having that's not yours, that you are co-creating, that mm-hmm. you think the patient ought to be, should be put into the room with you and the patient? When does that happen? Um, so, um, you know, this is sort of, uh, that's, that's a great question because I think a lot of newbie therapists uh, will share it right away, like, yeah. ah, you know, and, and, and still, but you really don't want to make what you're talking about is an interpretation, um, something you're going to say to the patient that, you know, you really have a very strong feeling is, you know, unconsciously what you're, what you're hearing from them, and it's presenting in the form of material you actually hear from them, but also these feelings that you're, that you're having, um, and you want to spend, as a therapist, some amount of time really collecting enough data points that you have, you've built a pretty decent case, because if you're doing, like, I would call it gunslinging interpretation, um, you're going to lose the patient, I mean, they, you, you, you know, you, you're just making up stuff, and it's, it's, if it's too early, they're like, what? Or they might believe it. <laughs> they might believe it, but, you know, it's not, it's very, it's not very helpful or useful. Yeah. And then you're driving them. You're driving the treatment. So let me, you let want me to collect this. enough information that you, that you do it in the form of saying, you know, I heard this, and yeah. then I heard this, and then I heard this, and then, you know, I feel this. And together, it makes me think this is what's going on. I, I, I want you to be critical of um, my my process here. So I get very limited time with patients and they're sort of new in their recovery and stuff. And I always feel like one of my primary jobs is to help them feel understood in the frame of closeness with another, right? Just get them used to that because they are outside of it all the time and they're going to have to get back in with their sponsor, with their peers, with their therapist. So I always feel like I got to get them in and feeling secure and understood quick. Um, and what happens because there's lots of trauma and disavowed aspects of themselves that come in the room with them, yeah. I will often have feelings like bodily-based feelings, like pain somewhere or I'll hear music or smell something. And I don't know what the hell it is, but I know it's not me because I've never – it's nothing I've ever experienced before. So I will sometimes after a few visits go, you know, I'm hearing this music or having this experience. I, does that mean anything to you? And I, I found it's a it's a – fast way to get them to feel like you know them in the moment, in, in that closeness? Am I doing something destructive in doing that? Well... Because I'm not um, doing psychoanalysis. I'm just right. trying to get them in a frame. Well, well this first of all, I would say, um, so transference doesn't just happen in, in psychotherapy, right? Yeah. Transference happens all over the place. Yeah, yeah. In, in, all of us, in all of us. Teachers, yeah, you, right? all of you us do to, that. Yeah. Right. You, so everybody has potentially transference to everybody. And so when a patient comes in to see you, even though you're not, right, the mental health professional, they have a transference to you. And it usually, for who 
whoever your doctor is, it's sort of, you know, there's a certain uh, respect and, um, I mean, unless they've had very, you know, bad experiences and they've, they're really devaluing of doctors, it's often, you know, kind of like a teacher, like, a, you know, like you're the authority figure. You know what's going on. So there's a lot of valence in what you say. And, and in that sense, it's, it can be very powerful and it could be powerful used for good as in, hey, I want to make it clear to you I really do understand or I'm, and I'm really listening and I'm trying to understand. Yeah, that's I, all that's really all I'm trying to convey is that I hear you, I feel you, I understand you something like that. So the only thing that you so sometimes like I I don't I don't, I'm not sure what to make of, you know, like if you hear music or something like if that's magical, you know, I, I, it, it also will be taken with the same valence. It will also well, be Well, no, I, I wouldn't I if I just heard music I I wouldn't bring that up but if i if something emotional happened to me all of a sudden yeah yeah then if I you go, get a feeling yeah, state like a yeah. like a you know i feel because um so now you're talking about another important uh defense or you know um idea that goes on in psychotherapy but all over the place uh uh, projective identification yes. projection in general so projection that the patients will will project feeling states onto you yes and if you're open to it, if you're open to, because, you know, you've done your own work and you can think about the feeling state you have and maybe it doesn't feel like it belongs to you so much, but right. something has happened when the patient came that's in. That's right. That's real, that is important data. So if you're like, I feel, I have these, like, sort of, I feel worried now or fearful or what, whatever, um, being able to say, you know, I'm, I, 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 I have this feeling which feels like it kind of, you know, started when you came in. I, I'm wondering yeah. if that's something yes. going on with you. Yes, that's what is, I'll, is I'll, I'll, I'll always... A way to make. Yeah, I, I do that a lot. I've got pain here by my kidney. And what's interesting, when it's very fascinating, because when you, when you hit it exactly right, the patients, because it's, it, they're so in it, they just go, yeah, well, that's where my dad used to be, kick me and hit me with a baseball bat. Anyway, and they're like, it's like it's not, there's no sense of how did you know. It's just yeah. they're in it, so of course you know. Right. right, right, right. Well, and, you know, the good news about that, as you're pointing out, is sort of in feeling understood so well. Yeah. Um, that does create a trust and yes. an intimacy, and that goes a long way, I think, to you know the confidence in a treatment. And that's it's very, great. It's, it's really important with that is because they, they trust is the, one of their major problems. They, they don't yeah. believe that they don't believe they can be understood. And, and sometimes what I'm telling them is they're totally full of shit. And, and I don't know where that comes from when it comes, but I just trust it will just pop out of my mouth sometimes. And I've had really situations where the patients stop and look at me. I thought, oh my god, he's going to hit me, and then they'll go. I am. You're right. How'd you know? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm, I thought, I don't, I don't know. I just yeah. trust what comes out of me when we're working yeah. together. Yeah. So nutty. Um, well, you know, also, if you've, if you've started with uh, other things that have been on the nose, then, um, then probably yeah. someone's much more willing to hear and, you know, not storm out of the room, well, but like it's, hear it's, and take it's, in it's particularly, It's particularly powerful if you hit it right with heroin addicts because they literally don't know when they're lying. And if, if yeah. I know when they're lying, that's meaningful to them because oh, yeah. they don't know. They, they, people yeah. think, oh, they're just liars. It's like, mm, they're heroin addicts and that, and that yeah. the lying is, is a feature of that condition. That's all. Yeah, yeah. So um, what else are people going to – want to go to talk a little bit about the power of different and that kind of thing? Sure. Um, I'm happy to do that. I'm sure you see this as well, um, that you see people who come in with a particular kind of uh, mental – health diagnosis, let's say, or maybe they don't even know they have that diagnosis yet, but, you know, people come in with intense anxiety or intense 
um, depression or bipolar disorder. I'm sure, I mean, you know, in a, I think in, in the addiction world, you, you, there is a fair amount of comorbidity, oh, a, yes. a fair amount oh, of, my, um, yes. of, course. Uh, of those things. And so, yeah. what, you know, really what I tried to do is call the data that exists, of which there is significant data, um, yeah. and talk to many people, you know, in the field and so on, um, and people who are living this hardwired connection between particular kinds of mental health issues, um, which are very common, and extraordinary abilities, and that it is the hardwiring that produces those symptoms that is part and parcel of the same hardwiring that also makes the potential for these incredible strengths if the person is more mildly to moderately ill as opposed to more severely ill. Right. When you're more severely ill, you actually still have those hardwired potentials there. You just can't make use of them because you are um, so disorganized that you it, It's you funny. Uh, it's funny we have this conversation. I was watching the uh, Picasso series on Amazon mm. right now, the Genius series, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and they're being kind to him. <laughs> I, I know he was much more of a scoundrel than, than they're even yeah. portraying it. He was a pretty big scoundrel, right? Mm-hmm. He was a horrible domestic violence, misogynist, probably mm-hmm. bipolar maniac, mm-hmm. alcoholic, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, but, I think he, he certainly... Um, he certainly partook of women of all sorts. He did seem very impulsive in many ways. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know what the evidence is to support bipolar disorder, but he certainly did struggle. Obviously, we know his whole blue period. Yeah. On the other hand, with depression, but on the other hand, um, and recurrent depression, I would say. Um, on the other hand, that was precipitated also by a very close friend who committed suicide. But then, then um, he would go on these. You know these painting extravaganzas, yeah, and, dur- and during those, he would beat the crap out of some women. He was very yeah. violent with yeah. women, and yeah. uh, drinking a little bit during those. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. there's some awful stuff that went on, and yet uh, extraordinary genius, extraordinary genius. And actually, so um, bipolar disorder occurs much more frequently in the artistic community um, than one would expect in terms of the general population. Um, that's in writers poets, painters, mm. composers, all of the arts, which is interesting. That is interesting. Um, in a really high frequency. And, of course, um, when you start looking then at the people who really uh, made, you know, monumental changes in terms of the field, something we call, you know, we, someone we might call a genius, um, it's extraordinarily high. And so um, there, and, and definitely the data is probably the best for Hypomania, the periods of. Well, I was know, just thinking. I was thinking. I think it was. I have some Picasso paintings in my mind, and I thought to myself, "Oh, I, I just feel hypomania when I look at those." But really, but really, what it was is right. It was incredible innovation. He yeah. did stuff that was completely out of the box and sort of like didn't exist before. Yeah. And then, you know, he came up with these ideas, and then they became part of, you know, the next wave of, you know, of artistic work in the, in the painting world. And that's really, so the state of hypomania, the incredible, incredibly rapid thoughts, um, as long as you don't become manic, because, you know, right. if you're psychotic, then you're yes. not able to organize those I, thoughts. I've but noticed, during periods, yeah. I, I've noticed that uh, there's a lot of hypomania in successful business folks, yes. too. 
Yeah. Um, and, and that's also innovation, if you think about that. That's, you I, think, know, um, I think Mr. Trump's got a whiff of that. I think well, Elon Musk you know, got a whiff so of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, no, look at those possible, guys. Possible, yeah, I, they all have a whiff of this. And, but, and but, cause, look, but look, Richard Branson yeah, um, yeah. Is, is right out there. Um, you know, you've got, um, uh, actually, there are, I'm just thinking of who um, the, the founder of Kinkos, um, the founder of um, IKEA. I mean, there there are a lot of um, people who've been upfront about their struggle, um, and they are CEOs, and they did create businesses that didn't exist before, um, and they are very upfront about their. Ha- they have these very creative, intuitive, intuitive ideas about sort of what should come next, what is coming next, um, and you know, I guess. Like sort of, if I had to ca- encapsulate, what am I? What am I really talking about? I'm talking about the fact that genius or high levels of creativity is is a brain that is some combination of messy and organized. The the because and that that produces those creative genius ideas. So, a, a brain that is allowed to be flexible enough that all these sort of messy ideas are running through it in great quantity, and some of them will stink. But if you think about it qualitatively speaking, if you have huge numbers, some of them are going to be really good. And then the question is, can your brain be organized to pull out the good ones and, and actually work on them and do something with them? And that, that is really kind of what happens in the hypomanic state. Yeah. You might have seen me talking on TV about TheraWorks Relief. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer from muscle cramps in your legs and feet, relief is here. TheraWorks Relief is a topical foam that is clinically proven to relieve muscle cramps fast. It's TheraWorks, T-H-E-R-A-W-O-R-X with an X, relief. can prevent muscle cramps even before they start. For over a year now, I've been recommending TheraWorks Relief to my family, friends, my patients. The results have been great. I had a patient just this week recommend it to another person, and, you know, the word is out. Now, the word breakthrough gets tossed around these days, but TheraWorks Relief is the real deal. It's a life-changing product. Best of all, you don't need a prescription. It is my choice for preventing and relieving muscle cramps. Make it yours. Get TheraWorks Relief today at select CVS, Rite Aid, and Walgreens pharmacies or at theraworksrelief.com. Go ahead and talk to your pharmacist about TheraWorks Relief. They are as excited as I am because you don't have to take a medication anymore to relieve cramps. Experience relief or muscle cramps for yourself. That is TheraWorks Relief for your muscle cramps. Here's some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a bit of olive oil can clean your interior. That's right. Removing excess weight. That's the Corolla thing. Improve your gas mileage. Another tip you might not know is that True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car is not just for buying new cars. With their True Car certified dealer network and the nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you will enjoy real pricing on actual inventory. So what that means is you'll see the scattergram. You'll see what people are paying in your area. Again, whether it's buying new or used, you'll see that scattergram for that car. And once you lock in the price, you know you've locked in a price for an actual inventory on a true car certified dealer's lot. And it's a simpler buying experience, whether you're buying new or used. And with true car, again, you see what others paid. You know you're getting a good price before buying. True car users also more likely to have a faster buying experience merely by connecting with the true car certified dealer network. So when you're ready to buy new or used, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Purple, unique feel. It's unlike anything else out there. It's soft where you want it, firm where you need it, balance, comfort, and support. It helps support that natural curvature of your own spine, whether you sleep on your back or your side. 
comes at three different comfort levels, so you choose exactly what it is for you. Now, most mattresses, right, this is a purple mattress. It's just a color, but it's the purple mattress isn't actually purple. It's just called purple. And it's a, a, new, a new technology. Most mattresses use memory foam. It's outdated. That tends to trap body heat and uh, provides inconsistent support. Well, the purple mattress uses an entirely new kind of comfort technology called the Smart Comfort Grid, scientifically engineered to adapt to any body type or sleeping positions. It works by actively creating your shoulders and hips while supporting your back for a unique zero-gravity-like feel. And 100 nights risk-free. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund with free shipping and returns. Backed by 10-year warranty, free in-home setup, and old mattress removal, you are going to love Purple. And right now, for our listeners, you get a free sheet set and mattress cover with your mattress purchase. So just go to purple.com slash D-R-E-W. That is purple.com slash Drew. One more time, Purple dot com slash drew sleep is too important to leave it to something random get a purple mattress and and there's a whole world of um we were kind of talking about it in the transference counter-transference piece of our conversation of the the co-created i guess i'd call it I mean, things that happen between and amongst people, the, the, the magical world of relationships where new uh-huh. things come out of it. And uh-huh. I don't feel like we emphasize that enough in this country. I, you know what? I think well, that's, where, that's where we develop emotional regulation. It's where novel ideas can occur, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. where we learn to understand who we are, where identity is developed. I mean, and we don't emphasize it, strangely. Well, it's interesting because, actually, if you think about it, in academia, right, um, that is the thrust now. So oh, good. All this inter- well, I didn't know that. Well, I, th- I well, thought there was resistance to it. I thought the cognitive, the thought the cognitive the people still pushed that away, no? In the broadest sense, I'm just talking about interdisciplinary. Mm. Everything now is moving interdisciplinary, yeah. right? So, which is essentially two, two people, two mm-hmm. disciplines, two, you know, two disparate areas of academia. Where's the Venn diagram that says what's in the middle? Because that's going to be new stuff. Yeah. And so, in you know, at universities and st- that that is where everything is going, but it's a fair point. Like we don't really, on an individual level, talk about that, which is a shame. You know what? Part of that is driven by the fact that if you think about it in business, right? Everybody wants to be the one who's responsible for the great idea. Yeah, it's sort of an American thing, I think. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. It is an American thing. You know, America, right? We're the we're the country that rates the highest on the charts of individual mess. Yeah. Yep. To the to our detriment often, yep. right? And, yeah, and, you know, and, and, of a non willingness to share or say, "Hey, we did that as a group." Or yeah, yeah see, I think that we, again back to our conversation about transference and countertransference. I, I, I think the reason I feel certain things when the patient comes in the room is because I'm listening with my entire body. I'm not mm. just listening with my ears. I'm listening mm-hmm. with everything. And so my brain is something embedded in a body, embedded in an autonomic nervous system that extends throughout my viscera and my body. Mm-hmm. And that has peripheral brains associated with it and the parasympathetic side of it. And we don't even know what they do. But I, yeah. but I think that has – I think – I just keep thinking the future, like 100 years from now, that's going to be the, the – I don't know. When we had the decade of the brain, it's going to be the decade of the – parasympathetic plexus or something. <laughs> you well, know? you know, if you think about it, people, um, a lot of people who are anxious, Drew. Yeah. Um, How did you know that? Do, <laughs> and by the way, if people want to hear me unload my stuff, do you, ha- do you have that podcast I did with you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Are people reacting to that? 
Yeah. Oh, sure. What'd they say? What'd they say? Uh, uh, I didn't know Drew was so anxious. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm I, like, hey, we're, we're uh, we physicians. We, a lot of us are very. Oh, my God. You can't, you, can't, you can't get the training right if you're not that way. Cause exactly. You're, you're, yeah, you, you, then you exactly. don't care. I was, I, I, to allude to that, but that, that's part of what makes you great at um, at. You know, as you as you're pointing out, utilizing your parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. That you know, when you're an anxious person, what happens in your brain is, as you're pointing out, also happening in your body. Yeah. And if you can, you can be aware of that. If you don't have to be so walled off and in denial, but you can be like, oh, this is how it feels when I feel these yeah. things. Yeah. But but I think I think we we think of our body as a sort of one thing. You know, it's like oh, it's in my stomach. I, I think there's a lot more nuance if you listen to it. Uh, mm-hmm, and, it, and, it mm-hmm. and it may not be anything. It may inform you in ways that surprise. There, it may not even be mm-hmm. about your body, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Oh wait, Absolutely. Gary! Gary just found out the podcast. It is November of 2016. I can't. First, I can't believe it's that long ago. I know. Uh, you go to drgailsalts.com slash podcast. Is there a number? You found it right away, Gary. Is there a number with that podcast? It doesn't appear that she numbers them, but I. Okay. I just yeah. scroll. You scroll down, and you'll find it. Uh, okay. Wait, maybe it does say episode ten. Is that oh, possible? Oh. Is that possible? Episode ten, Gary? The Gail. That's uh, right. It was an early one. Yeah, I unload yeah. all my shit on Gail, <laughs> so, <laughs> and she and she of course does her her psychedelic magic, and I get into the frame with her, and out it comes. So if you want to hear my shit, go to the yeah, <laughs> Gail, Gail podcast. Good yeah, stuff. no, no, that was good. But and, it, but the fact that you could be in tune with that probably has a lot to do with being able to, as you said, be in a room with patients and really hear them and experience them. Yeah, listen, I, my anxiety, listen, <laughs> what you don't know is that, that, I think maybe I said it in the podcast, it was a while ago now, but that's my anxiety regulated. <laughs> that's my good, that's, that's it doing good. That's, it was out of control at one time. And well, you, I, could I, hark, you but you could harken back to that and bring and you know remember that and really. well what ha- I think when I was talking to you I let myself get into it a bit so I was feeling it more than I normally do and again yeah. because I can regulate it it doesn't bother me and I can get into it and get out of it and yeah. whatever yeah um, and you were doing your mind control thing on me and, and you know <laughs> having and having and having been there like you can really I, I think that's the other thing people who have been whatever that depressed that yeah. anxious that you know they really have. A different kind of empathy for yeah, suffering, yeah. and you know, I think that's also no, valuable it's, it's, in a patient's work. Yeah, I was so mismanaged as a late adolescent that I think it got me interested mm-hmm. in, in there being specialized services for that age group and mm-hmm. addressing their needs and things, mm-hmm. and, and probably why I walked down the psychiatric hospital path and was so interested there. Yeah, um, and also. <laughs> A reminder of how weak the internal medicine training is in psychiatry. I was shocked once I started really learning how yeah. weak my training was, and yet the yeah. primary care folks are the ones that do all the prescribing, which is concerning to me. It's a good point, and it is a real problem. I do like that some medical schools have started, like Columbia does this here, um, to add basically working on life narrative, you know, what, like how, how do you interview your patients and how do you understand their life trajectory for, for all medical students. And uh, that will certainly improve the ability to listen to patients and understand when like, it might be a psychiatric thing going on. Like do on. they have the, pa- the students do timelines with patients? Like lifelines? Um, life, this, 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 this particular program has a lot to do with... Um, uh, understanding how to elicit a life narrative from a patient and how to write it, 
Um, and that that's valuable, but that's just one medical school. I don't I don't know what others are doing, but I hope I hope there's sort of a following suit. There's there's a lot of you know t- that's used a lot. Really detailed life narratives uh, are used a lot in sex addiction and sort of these you know, mm-hmm. behavioral addictions and stuff. And sort of because tr- trauma is the big issue in there, and you have to kind of yeah. ferret all that out. Let me let me. I went. I mentioned something about the cognitive group, co- people that are into cognition and CBT and all this stuff. H- how do we understand the relationship between the what should we call it, the cognitive revolution that was a few years ago, mm-hmm. and the enthusiasm for cognitive interventions, and perhaps deeper forms of therapy? So, um, cognitive therapies lend themselves very well to research and data collection. Um, Psychodynamic psychotherapy, certainly psychoanalysis, um, and um, and somewhat psychodynamic psychotherapies, which are the offshoot, not as well because they are much more free form. They are um, there's less measurable. Like you came in, we gave you a test of sorts. We said, here's your score. Now we do these very specific interventions, which can be done in a like a really recipe kind of format. So we can standardize it so everybody's doing the same thing, and then we gave you the test again, and this is your score now. And that's how we measured everything. So so a lot of research was done, you know, looking at using the model, the CBT and all the offshoots models, and that's one piece. Another piece is that those treatments are much shorter. They're like, you know, we're we're just having 10 sessions and you're out. Um, and so insurance companies, um, very much like cognitive therapies, yeah. um, because, you know, you're not having more sessions. Um, so I think the combination of being able to show certain things with data and, um, and, and people in general liking the idea of, you know, a very finite number of sessions, and certainly insurance companies like that, really popularized CBT. And, you know, there are some things that CBT is so great for, and there are other things that CBT is not so great for, well, so, but people so will try to use doing, it for everything. Right, and that's that's the problem I have with a lot of mental health services these days is there's an excessive enthusiasm with yes. fill-in-the-blank something. Yes. Uh, and so how does the patient navigate? How does somebody know what kinds yeah. of... Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think it is really hard for it is really hard for patients for a couple reasons. There's this reason. There's also the who is trained for what. Yeah. Um, that we yeah. have very. There's not great standardization yeah. for you know anybody can call themselves a therapist. Yeah. Anybody, and of course everybody calls themselves a life coach, um, and you know so only specific people are psychiatrists. But some people who are psychiatrists have also done training, like myself, in psychoanalytic psychotherapy or in CBT psychotherapy, and some psychiatrists are really pure psychopharmacologists. They really only do medication. Most. A lot, yes, a lot. And and, and then there are psychologists who specialize in different kinds of disorders and different kinds of therapies. So I think it's really hard right now for patients to figure out who is right for them. What I would say to a person is a couple things. Um, If you... you, have a set of symptoms, it's pretty darn easy, to tell you the truth, most people come with understanding that some genre is going on, like they know they're 
sad a lot, they're depressed. They know they're nervous a lot. They know it's an anxious, it's an anxiety thing. They know they're having episodes of something that feel like panic attacks. People usually have some inkling of what's going on. It's pretty reasonable to, frankly, contact your whatever it is, local hospital, outpatient psychiatry department, and say, I am more interested in therapy, I am more interested in medication, I am interested in both, but I want it specifically with someone who specializes in this. But, but um, you're already... putting a lot of onus on the patient. Yes, I mean, that's yeah. like... I, I, mean, when they, I, I would never expect them to do that with any other illness or condition. Uh, you know, the, so obviously people... Don't do that, but I'm just, I am telling you, as a person on the inside, you know, I would be, if someone came to me and said, you know, I'm really, I'm having panic attacks, they're happening this frequently, I'm avoiding going out because, and I was like, yeah, this really sounds like panic disorder with agoraphobia, you know what, that is not what I'm doing a lot of right now. I mean, was I trained in it originally? Yes. Um, but that is, panic disorder is very CBT, extremely CBT. I, I, you um, know, I, I responded to deep psychoanalytic sort of emotionally focused therapy. For anxiety. Yes. But for panic we, attacks. I panic too. Well, the panic will get better with the CBD, I see. Yeah, my panic was yeah. over already. The, pan- the yeah. panic. For the symptom. So for the symptom control. Panic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I would send them for, yeah. people come in with pure OCD, I yeah. would send them for CBT. Well, what, what, about, with, uh, what about the desensitization uh, therapy for, D, for OCD? Well, it's a, it, that's what exposure and it's, response yeah. prevention is yeah. a form of CBT. I see. Okay. I, I think so, it was a separate words, thing. It, one of those very mechanized, that, that, that's great for yeah. for those. But if you come in, especially a lot of the population you see, Drew, mm. who has a history of trauma, yeah. data show psychodynamic psychotherapy is definitely a preferable therapy. They definitely do better in it. Um, does it take longer? Yes. Is that surprising? No. You've had a history of trauma. And, and, and by the way, my, I, my, as I conceptualize my stuff, I, I think my anxiety was sort of a PTSD trauma thing more than anything. Mm. I, I really think Interesting. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm increasingly well, P- convinced that's what it was. PTSD, definitely, you could go either way because yeah. PTSD is really about symptom specific treatment, not like so much like the overall, you know, it's not. PTSD is a collection of symptoms. You're treating mm-hmm. symptoms. Um, but, 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 but with many trauma, people, here, here's my, my experience. With trauma, you tend to dissociate from painful whatevers. Mm-hmm. And. The, the reconnection with those parts of yourself and brain and body, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. happens in an interpersonal context. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so being there and being heard and being felt and being understood, very, very powerful for that kind of thing. It is powerful and also understanding what forever. you've been keeping unconscious. <laughs> it takes forever. And, 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 and it does take a while. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It does no, take a while. Forever. And, you know, here's the thing. All the data do show for just about any anything we could be talking about, right, it is... Um, most of them have response to psychotherapy. Psychotherapy plus med- psychotherapy is at least as good as medication alone, um, and psychotherapy plus medication is almost always the best if you've got something moderate to severe. But if you have something mild to moderate, you're better off just doing psychotherapy because why? Psychotherapy makes brain changes yeah. without Wiring. side effects Wiring that changes. is permanent. Yeah, yep. Wiring changes. 
And, yep. and that's what I tell people. I say if they have mild, moderate to severe, I'd like get diagnosed, see a psychiatrist, let's get a plan, yep. a treatment yep. plan that includes psychotherapy and maybe yep. medication. Yep. And then once you're into it, see if that's the right therapy or the right person. If yep. you need some specialized trauma therapy or whatever, we can talk about that. So it's, it, I think it's yep. sort of a... And there's an assessment procedure that goes through with all of it. You definitely need a good evaluation. You definitely, if you can, it's great to see more than one person because you do want to click with the person. People then say to me, then why do I have to have medication at all? If you have... Um, if your symptoms are such that it is it, it, that are extreme enough that it's hard to process, because what is therapy? It is learning, mm-hmm. right? You need your muscle load. But it's experiential learning, though. It is experiential argue. learning, yeah. but it is learning. Yeah. And because of that, if you are if you are essentially in such a state that you you can't learn. Yeah. You know, you have to be in that much denial or you have to have that much pushback or you have, you have your anxiety is flooding your ability to learn and lay down the memory mm-hmm. of your experience, then you're not going to improve. And so the medication is really to help you participate meaningfully in the therapy. Yeah, I get it. Talk to me about stigma. Oh, huge. Okay, so part of the reason I actually did write this book, The Power of Different, and this link between disorder and genius is because it's true, but also because people are still so terrified of having a mental health diagnosis because of the stigma, because of the stigma that they hold themselves of, you know, I, I have what? This means I'm, I'm bad, I'm weak, I'm terrible, I'll never succeed, I, you know, I, 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 I should hide. People feel that way so intensely that they don't get treatment, mm-hmm. um, they don't let others know, they feel totally alone in what's going on, um, and they fail to focus on and recognize the very particular strengths that they do have, which is obviously the key to self-esteem and confidence and proceeding on to be a productive person, which pretty much anybody with a mental health issue can be. Blinds galore. That's right. One thing they do better than anyone, they build and create 100% custom window treatments built to your exact measurements down to every detail They are more than just those big box stores. These are experts. They have covered over 2 million windows and counting, and they make it easy to get a completely custom product. And one that you'll love. I know you'll love it because they insist upon it. If you're not happy, they will keep working with you until you are. And not only will you get your brand new window coverings fit perfectly, they'll look like they're something unique and custom for your home. Don't bother with the stress of going to a store when you can do everything at blindsgalore.com right from your computer, right from home. Start to finish measuring, picking out the perfect window covering, installing it. Their experts will be there with you, holding your hand, guiding you every step of the way. They'll even set you up with free samples and free shipping on top of the free expertise. Blinds Galore will get you the designer blinds and shades you've always wanted without the designer price tag. And this week, they're even offering up to 45% off everything on the site. So go to blindsgalore.com before the sale ends on June 18th. That is blindsgalore.com and let them know I sent you. Well, you've heard me speak about the supplement Bergamot for about two years now, and most recently their sport formulation, which helps reduce inflammation, shortening workout, muscle recovery time. But I want to come back to the formula that originally got me excited about the brand. That is the Bergamot Mega Plus. Yep, like all Bergamot products, the Mega Plus O uses key extract from the Bergamot citrus fruit. It's a unique fruit, extremely rich in polyphenols. They've been shown to reduce the risk of heart disease, polyphenols. And Bergamot Mega Plus O works like a natural statin, right, for these medications. 
you use to lower cholesterol? Well, this works in precisely the same way. In addition, though, it addresses another condition called metabolic syndrome, which is abdominal fat, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, high blood pressure, insulin-resistant metabolic syndrome. It helps with that. It also helps with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, physicians can recommend different pharmaceuticals for these conditions, but Bergamet Mega Plus O offers the all-natural solution. Cardiologists and physicians worldwide do recommend Bergamet. Its effectiveness is the subject of many scientific publications. I've taken it myself. I have recommended and have patients on it right now. And for a limited time, Bergamet is offering our listeners 25% off any of the supplements by entering the code DRDRUW at checkout. That is Dr. Drew, all one word, at checkout. To learn more, visit bergamet.com. That is B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T, B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T.com. And remember that use that code, Dr. Drew, at checkout. Hey, everybody, help my podcast stay free to download with minimal ads. Your responses at the Podcast One survey will help. It's a short survey, completely anonymous, takes no more than five minutes. Go to Podcast One slash My Survey or just Podcast One and click on the survey banner. So let's keep the podcast free with minimal ads. If you filled a survey out in the past, we thank you, but we still need you to do it again. Do us all a favor here at Dr. Drew and the Corolla Network, uh, Podcast One, a huge favor, filling it out. Thank you for supporting our program and for taking the time to complete the survey. It, it's, it, I, I was doing a little research on this, and I found that empowerment, meaning oftentimes like an identification with the group, uh, even if the group is the group that organizes around pathology, feeling like it's part of a group that's been stigmatized and marginalized and you're going to advocate on their behalf, uh, yeah. self-efficacy, yeah. which is, again, I think an interpersonal thing. You feel like you can get things done that you should be able to get done, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, and... Uh, let's see what there was sort of a third thing I was I came upon that was helpful for self stigma. Uh and, and self stigma was a strange thing. People had a, three ways of responding to it. One was um shattered, like I'm 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 bad. Yeah. I'm sort of a shame based thing. Uh okay. neutral, I don't really care. I don't care what other people think of me. Or I'm empowered by it, and I'm going to advocate on behalf of this group and identify with it. And that uh-huh. that third group does pretty well. I know it's interesting personally for me. I'm in that second group. I don't. Uh-huh. I have panic. I have anxiety. I have depression. I, that's being human. I, I, I got. Uh-huh. I got no feelings about it anymore. Yeah. which is but weird you know, to me. You, you know, there's still unfortunately a preponderance is in group one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, and when you know you think about the fact that close to fifty percent of Americans at some point or another will have a mental health diagnosis, that's just tragic. You know that. I mean. Yeah, I heard. Uh, I heard Cardi B today on Howard Stern, and she went. Uh, he went, do you ever see a therapist? She goes, oh, no, no, we go, we go, we pray, we lay it on the church. And uh, no, I would never do that. I'm like, you know, and Howard sees his analyst three times a week, yes. down, from, down from five times a week, I think. Yes. And by the way, I believe that that's why he's such a great interviewer. Because oh, yeah. his intuition has been tuned up. Oh, definitely. Up, oh, definitely. Oh, I, I, I'm sure of that. And yeah. I bet, and I would, I, I'm sure that he would say that as well. Yeah. Um, the good news is that, unlike Cardi B, um, a number of celebrities are stepping forward now and saying, hey, I really struggled with, um, or I'm currently struggling with Kevin Love, you know, and I mean, many, you know, people are now saying, no, really, this has been my struggle, and I think the more particularly young celebrities do that, in terms of of it being part of a group of people that they can identify with, um, who have been hugely successful, but also struggled as part of their package, Mm -hmm. uh, the better. I, sure. I, I agree with you. 
one last topic I wanted to sort of uh, skid past was the dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. sort of another offshoot of this, the cognitive stuff. Yeah. Uh, help, help people understand what that's for and who it's for. What it is DBT and who it's for. Is, is a really uh, specialized form of, uh, I, I would say, cognitive behavioral therapy of, of recognizing particular thought patterns that you have and, you know, uh, how to counter them in the moment, um, often having more to do with identity issues and impulsivity issues because it's, it's, it's a specialized it's a specialized form of CBT for emotional regulation, and that's really important for the population with borderline personality disorder. That's, that is most, I mean, it's really used for anybody who has difficulty with emotional regulation. That, that and, and helping call into mind that other people's brains exist? Isn't that part of the DBT? Well, that other people, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That, yes, that other people exist and, and being able to... Uh, when you're unregulated. Read, be able to be aware of their emotion but not have to take it in. Yeah. Um, being able to be separate because if you have borderline personality disorder, you have difficulty with identity. You have difficulty with knowing, you know, being clear on what your own sexual identity is um, and other facets of your identity, but you're also very susceptible to other people's emotional states. Um, and so you have sort of a porous identity. You have problems with impulsivity. You have um, uh, problems with emotional regulation, so very quick to anger, very quick to uh, feel intensely and feel terrible things intensely, and so relationships tend to be really super turbulent. Um, everything is very turbulent, and um, and a lot of struggle with depression, suicidal thoughts, um, and that obviously you can imagine suicidal thoughts and impulsivity is not a good combination. Um, so DBT is one of the few treatments that is found to be really helpful to people with borderline personality disorder or that those kinds of constellations of symptoms. Do they use it on narcissists, DBT? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I would yes. think. I've never yes. seen it, but I would imagine It depends on your flavor of, of narcissistic pathology. Yeah. Um, so, and, and to be fair, borderline is a narcissistic pathology at its core. Yeah, can, yeah. I mean, those yeah. often can go hand in hand. Explain what you but, mean by flavor. Explain what that means. Um, well, um, there are people um, who struggle with narcissism who are more who really are more internally extremely insecure um, and, uh, and have trouble with emotional regulation. Um, I think that's and the, I, to me, that feels like the common one these days. It, it is yeah. a common one. Yeah. But there are people who um, have more of a sort of sociopathy as part of their they're ex- narcissism. They're ex- exploitative and grandiose. That, yes, and, they're that dark uh, triad. Yeah. They're really lacking in empathy. It's not just that they're lacking in empathy, but they probably get a charge out of um, you know, to some degree, inflicting pain on others. Jeez. It's very, you know, risk-taking, excitement in that sense, but in the very negative sense. Yeah. And I don't know that DBT would be terribly helpful right. for someone like that. Right. Okay, so it's more of the unregulated trauma, mm-hmm. insecurity. Exactly. exactly. Interesting. Well, this is all really so, I hope it, uh, people take this away and read your book because this is such interesting stuff. Is there any, any you've written other books too, right? Yeah. Let's um, go through them. I, well, you'll laugh. Let's see. So well, the first book I wrote was called Becoming Real, um, Understanding the Stories We Tell Ourselves Which Hold Us Back. So that is psychoanalytic theory for the layperson. That is sort right. of these repetitive stories that we 
that we um, make up because of trauma or, or difficult things early on and then, you know, what, what that actually results in symptomatically and then, you know, how can we correct those kinds of things. Um, I wrote a book called Anatomy of a Secret Life, which is about secret keeping, I mean, at the most extreme, double lives, um, and, but um, secret keeping in general and being duplicitous. And, why do people and do that? And, why, and, you know, I, I guess in the short... If you don't read the book, the book the one I know. sentence summary would be would be the one sentence summary would be um, because people are keeping secrets from themselves, um, and that is driving urges and need that yeah. they sort of split off and dissociate them from themselves, right. and they act out on right. um, instead of integrating it and um, and understanding where that urge is coming from. Right. Um, and then I wrote a book called The Ripple Effect: How Better Sex Makes for a Better Life. Um, and I, I'm sure everybody can agree with that. And uh, the you know, but about women's sexuality and um, origins psychically of sexuality, and um, a lot of stories that women tell themselves about their sexuality and ways that might be a problem for them in terms of sexual dysfunction and how to grapple with that. And uh, and I even did a couple of kids' books, um, talking to your kids about sex. Actually, those are my biggest selling books, if you can believe it. Mm. Um, because still in 2018, it's hard yeah. to talk to your kids about sex and having a tool is often helpful and people do find it helpful to talk about whether they're talking about parts or sex or masturbation or um, not letting other people touch you, all those important topics. Can we get, uh, Gary, get, 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 Chris helps out with this, get Gail's books up on our website. Yes, appreciate yes. it. Yes. I feel like I want to update my, my kids' books because now we have, other things that, well, yeah. that we, we should be talking with our kids about. Yeah, digital um, safety is unbelievable right now. Digital yeah. safety, um, the whole sort of how do you talk to your kids, um, I guess I'll say in shorthand, the Me Too movement, you know. Yeah. Um, how do you talk to sons and daughters about, you know, uh, not oh, let letting... Me, let me, that's yeah. a good sidebar if you don't spend, spend a couple minutes on this with me. What do you, why do you think that happened? What is that from your psychoanalytic perspective? It's been something that I've been seeing for a over a decade, and I've been asking mm-hmm. college-age kids, you know, why are you putting up with this? Why, are, mm-hmm. why do you think mm-hmm. you have to be like a 19-year-old male? Why is that okay mm-hmm. with you? And why do you feel flawed if you don't? And then all of a sudden, this isn't good for me. <laughs> Here it comes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess, uh, you know, obviously I don't know, but I would say that, I, I mean, I'm hoping that really what happened was a tipping point, you know, that by outing enough of the information, I don't mean people, but that this actually goes on in numerous fields in really egregious ways that as an objective outsider, you could say, yuck, that's yeah. horrible, yeah. Um, as opposed to when you're in it and you're having all that transference, counter-transference, and you can't. Yeah. Um, so other people saying, that is horrible. And a wait a minute, wait a minute, um, maybe something like that kind of happened to me. So enough people, it's like stigma, right? Enough people say something and it starts to not be as taboo. And by being able to then talk about it, we are saying, hey, we really shouldn't be putting up with this. I mean, I, I, I don't know what you saw in med school, but I had stuff happen to me in med school. I absolutely had stuff happen to me. And I did not say anything because I really thought at that time, I thought, okay, this guy is responsible for my grade. Ugh. And if I say this happened, it's going to be he said, she said, and... They're not going to believe me, or something will happen, but he's still going to, like, I'm going to be in trouble, and it's going to hurt me. 
Because yes. they, they were always, it was, it was a person who was res- literally I reported to. Jesus. Terrible. But, 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 you know, Drew, the crazy thing is everybody's thinking, oh, it's, it's celebrity, it's this horrible, it's Hollywood, it's so terrible. Well, that's not surprising, the casting couch and all that. But guess what? It's everywhere. They've done studies and they've looked at, and the health field is the worst. Hmm. Isn't that incredible? But it's not incredible. You know why? Because people often go into medicine or helping fields to sublimate those urges to do things that are not good, right? It's a, it's a positive defense mechanism, yeah. but it doesn't mean that those things are gone. So if you don't explore that with yourself, you don't understand that about yourself, I'm not, people aren't bad for having thoughts, for having bad thoughts. People are not good for acting on those bad thoughts. But if you... If you integrate that and think, oh, yeah, I think that, and that's a fantasy, but I should not do that. Where does that come from, that urge for me, et cetera? And, and I think you when, won't do it. when we were in training, that, that culturally all that stuff was just sort of reinforced to behave like that oh, yeah. in, in a weird way. And, and so oh, I don't yeah. think anybody realized they were doing anything out of line. Oh, it, it wasn't culturally out of line. Yeah. That, that was the problem, yeah. right? Weird. Right. Ugh. All right, Gail. Well, listen, I, let's watch your book sales. hope they tick up right now because uh, I think after all this, people – I'm, inter- I'm thinking, I want to read your first book again. I don't think I've read it in a long time. And uh, so there's a lot of yeah, stuff I want to I mean, people definitely, you know, um, th- I mean, that's truly self-help there. That yeah. is truly a way of sort of, um, and, you know, obviously if it's well, tremendously appealing, I, someone I, might decide they want to go into therapy, but. I'll, also, I'm hoping people have an interest in how humans work again. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because they, they've not been that interested in it for a little while. And, and not just how you work yourself, but how we all work. And this is, the human experience is really the core phenomenon in a life. If you want to get a better understanding of the crazy time we're living in right now, politically speaking, you should be interested in psych and how humans work. Yeah. And this might just give you a little insight. Yeah. Do do you have, a a, a, again, a one-sentence description of what you think that is? And forget oh. the leaders. I mean, just what we're all what we're into. It feels what to me we're like we're all experiencing. Yeah, um, it feels to I me like think... we've we've all been traumatized or traumatized early, or sort of re-traumatized. And there's a lot of mob action going on and porous kind of boundaries. Well, I definitely think there's a lot of group group think, yes. group psychology yes. going on. It's just yes. two different groups. Mob. Um, yeah, but it does bring out the uh, uh, flight or fright. Yeah, yeah. Or in this time. In this instance, I would say fight response. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so people are feeling right, very threatened. Like mine has to be right, and um, at all all, all costs, um, feels Jeez. like there's so much on the line. Oof. All right, Gail. Well, thank you so much. We will go to drdrgailsalt dot com, uh, and also go to my website and get the books. Okay. Thanks, Drew. Thank you all. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Drew.com.